two-part message that I started a couple weeks ago titled Fulfilling the Dream. Last week, I hope I proved to you that unfulfilled dreams are not God's design, but simply a product of our laziness. We have not because we ask not. Uh, two weeks ago, we held the now historic groundbreaking of the 250-seat sanctuary. I know. Excited, excited. Don't you love just driving up and seeing it or Pastor Denny, how he's putting those pictures online. It just helps continue to build our faith. Well, last week, we, like I said, we filled out those faith promise cards. Uh, we're really looking to... Um, expedite the blessings that God's going to, and we're going to believe God is going to filter through your hands to see that last $180,000 come in quickly so that we can hold our first service in that new sanctuary on Easter Sunday, 2019. So that's six months from now, I really believe. And when we when we spoke that out, when we said that that's what we're believing for, it was exactly six months, 26 weeks to the day. We said that on October 21st and Easter is April 21st. Again, only God can put those numbers together like that. But he loves showing himself big and strong on our behalf. When we take our little lunch and he multiplies it and feeds multitudes with. I just love that. He loves doing that. But we have to get him in places. We have to put ourselves in places where he can do that. When we're always just taking care of ourselves and doing what we can do, he sits back and, and you know, basically shrugs his shoulder. Well, I guess you can do that then, right? But when we put ourselves in impossible situations, he loves he loves coming through. That's why he took the, the army of Gideon from 300,000 down to 300. Because he said with 300,000, well, you can do that. But don't you want to see me do that on your behalf? Oh, yeah. Right? Well, in the first two weeks, we discussed three things that we position ourselves by positioning ourselves, by doing these three things, we position ourselves to see dreams fulfilled. Um, that was being a people of vision, a people believing, and a people giving. The difference between vision and believing is that vision, and it all comes out of the prayer that Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Vision can see, vision can see God's kingdom come now. When he, when he commissioned his disciples to go and pray for people, he didn't say go and pray for people. No, he said go and heal the sick, cast out the demon, raise the dead. He said, preach this, the kingdom's here now. Then he said, now you can go ahead and believe the will of God's going to be done now. Because if you can see his kingdom here, Whatever can exist in his kingdom there can exist here. What cannot exist in his kingdom there cannot exist here. So when you can see that, then you can believe that so that when you lay hands on people or when you speak to people, you can believe God's will is going to be done now. That's the difference between vision and believing. You have to have both. You have to see his kingdom come to believe his will can be done now on earth. 
as it is in heaven. And we have to be a, a people giving. We have to be a people of giving. Otherwise, we're selfish, fat, little spoiled brats. Right? I mean, think about it. The child that, you know, is grabbing at everything, mine, 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 and only fending for themselves. But when we realize our place is to be a son or a daughter that stewards the kingdom of heaven wherever we go, we can't be a mine, mine, mine person. Right? It's all his, and he said, give. Right? Freely you have received, freely give. We're stewards of. And he says, you want to have the much more? You have to be faithful with the little. He's trying to teach us a principle. That it says that the, when the announcement was made of Jesus' birth, it says that the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right? Christ is the head of the church. So who are the shoulders? The church. The church. We can't govern well if we don't steward well. Good stewards govern well. If you're, do you want, do you want a government that's selfish, stingy, and looking out only for themselves? Do you want a church like that? No, good stewards govern well. We discussed that it's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. To be able to offer something as a sacrifice, it must cost you something. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. The little boy that offered his lunch, it had to cost him his lunch. Put in the hands of Jesus, then could be multiplied and feed the multitudes. There's a message just in that. Giving is a natural response to a loving relationship. So all the I have to give, I have to give, I want to see a husband say that to a wife and remain healthy and whole <laughs> later on. Oh, I have to give you something for your birthday? Oh, I have to buy you something? Mm. I know all the women's eyes just got bigger. What did he say? Giving is a natural response to a loving relationship. I asked last week, how many in a relationship has lasted in a relationship without giving anything to their significant other? It just doesn't happen. It's a natural response. God positions himself as our heavenly father. And he said, if you fathers know how to give good, good gifts to your children, why do you think I don't want to give good gifts to my children who ask? who ask and then that's where we kind of focus last week well what do we ask for how do we know if we're asking a selfish thing and that's where most christians get stuck because of that scripture you have not because you ask not is also talking about and when you do ask you ask amiss because you ask selfishly but in the context of that scripture they're actually being command uh, commended not commanded commended they're being applauded for asking for everything. 
And then they're saying, yeah, but sometimes we ask and we don't get it. He's like, don't worry. That was just selfish. God took care of that for you. He didn't give you that one. You ever have your children ask you for things and you're like, yeah, no, you're not getting that one. Right? But do you punish them and say, don't ever ask for anything that was selfish. How dare you? No, you say, come on, keep asking. It's okay. And if you ask amiss, if you ask, just trust that I'll, I'm not going to give you that one right now. Right? Right. I mean, the, the child that finally grows up and gets their license and says, I would really like a car. A Lamborghini would be nice. See, I have my driver's permit now. I can drive that Lamborghini. And you're like, how about a Ford Focus for the first few years? Let's get through those crashes you probably are going to have, right? And then let's look forward to a Lamborghini later, right? Or maybe I'll match you in that car, you know, right? That's simple. So in the what do we ask for, how do we know if we're asking selfishly? You don't. So stop second-guessing yourself. Just keep asking. Ask, ask, ask. He wants to give us good gifts and trust him to weed out the selfish ones. You would do that for your own children. And that's where we focused last week. What do we ask for? I mean, he gives us permission. Ask anything you need. What? Anything you wish. What? There's a difference between a wish and a need. Mm-hmm. I need electricity in my house to have heat I wish I had a bigger house so I could have more people over right there's a difference between a need and a wish he said don't worry about your needs the pagans run after all those things Ooh, remember that one by the way Lord, I love your haircut oh you're so welcome yeah, yeah, there we go. Yes. We're sassy. I got sassy haircuts. Okay, anyway. Focus, people. He said, don't worry about all the little things that you need. Right? Didn't he say that? Don't worry about that. The pagans run out. The, the ungodly run after all that kind of stuff. I'll take care of that. Seek first the king. Ask whatever you wish. Oh, wow, that's a different that, that's a different Christmas list right there, isn't it? Instead of just the things you need. He said, don't even look at that. I'll take care of all that. Ask whatever you wish. Ask for anything. So our scripture, our main scripture has been for these last couple weeks, three weeks now, has been John chapter 15. And last week, I wasn't able to read it to you because we ran out of time. Probably somebody else's fault, not mine. But that's where we get the promise, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Remember, I've told you that that's what's happened basically to the church these days, is that we, we seek the promise and we toss out the condition. And Amy encouraged you in her scripture that she read before worship. 
that there's do this, do this, do this, and God says, then I'll do this. But see, we want to sidestep all those I have to do things, and I just want the promise. I mean, do you give your kids chores at home? Why? Why do you do that? Because they're eating and sleeping under my roof. They need to do something, right? They're being taken care of. And if you're one of those extra nice parents that give those allowances, I'm so glad for you. Just don't tape my voice. We don't do that. You eat in my house. You sleep in my house. <laughs> you get Well, now they buy their own clothes. You know? That's your, your part. Your part is you can take out the trash. You can do the dishes. You can do the laundry. You can clean the house. You know? That's your part. Promises have conditions. So what I wanted to do and what I hope I've shown you is that whenever you see a promise, that's great. Stand on them. All of his promises are yes and amen. All of them. But they all have conditions to them. So don't forget to look at the condition. Proverbs 3, my goodness, I shared a little bit with Amy. My mind is just blown at the overwhelming simplicity of God's word. When we take the time and look at it, that he wants to do this. But he says, just do this. You do this and you're going to get this. It's not maybe, it's always will. You will get this. You, I will do this. You will have that. You will get whatever you ask for when, if, conditions. So turn with me over to John chapter 15. I want to read this and then we're going to pick it apart just for a minute because I want you to understand how easy it is to grab a hold of God's promises. There's no work involved in that. His promises come naturally. I'm trying not to preach what I'm about ready to read. When you, when, you, when you see it written out. Um, and let me just encourage you. How many of you brought your Bible? Oh, look at all that. I love it. Because you know what you honor, you attract. You honor the word and you'll attract more of his word. When you honor him first, seek first the kingdom you attract the kingdom. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. What you honor, you attract. And I mean, it's not, there's, no, there's no effort to it. And you're like, well, you're talking about conditions. There's just no, oh, here, I'm, okay, let's just read it. You're going to see that it's, it's not, oh, I got to do this. It's not that at all. All right, starting with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. This is Jesus, red letters, red letters, red letters. Even in your iPhones, and it's red letters. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean, pruned, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's keep reading. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Did you hear the conditions and the promises? We went into just those 15 verses thinking that it was just one promise. We came out with six promises. Three commands, six, three conditions, six promises. If you remain in me, I will remain in you, right? I will on God's part is a promise. The condition, if you remain in me. Oh, but he said later that we didn't choose him. He chose us. Yeah. It's just like a wedding. Just like the ring. Oh, this ring. Not this one. Oh, that was my anniversary ring. This ring. The man chose the wife, right? Gave her a ring. So then how does she remain in him? She chooses every day. She chooses every day to remain in him. He chose her, but now it's her choice every day to remain in him. Remain with him. Remain with him. 
If you remain in me, Jesus said, I will, promise number one, remain in you. We are the branch. He's the vine. Trust God. He's the gardener. He's going to prune you. Why? So you can continue to bear much fruit. Because at first, didn't he say that? If you're found in him, oh, if you're found in him and you're not bearing any fruit, what's he going to do? Cut it out for all my full life fans. Cut it out. He's going to cut you out. Oh, you mean you can't just say the sinner's prayer set in church and be good till Jesus comes? No, that's not bearing any fruit. Oh, so I have to go. So now it's all about works. Did he say that? No, he said, if you remain in him, his words remain in you. That was promise number two. You will bear much fruit. What? So bearing fruit is not a, oh, please, Lord, I need an apple. No, it will naturally happen. What, what's the condition? Remain in him. Remain in him. And my words remain in you. There it will. Your second promise, you will bear much fruit. And I spoke on this a little bit last week. God's word is seed. He talked about it. The parable of the sower, right? His word is seed. His word is seed. His word is seed. His word produces life. His word is life. So we have to position ourselves as seed spitters. Oh. Constantly be speaking the word. Why? Because we're sowing seeds. You see that? Remember, uh, gosh, now I think it's been almost a month ago. God gave me that illustration of an apple. That he gives us a, something in our hand. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll talk about that in a minute. But in that apple, in every apple is seeds. So in every apple of seeds is many more apples. Somebody once said you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. Ooh. But we have to position ourselves to keep speaking his word. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. He says that his word will not return void. It will go forth and do what it was purposed to do. You sabotage your blessing by your mouth. When you start speaking negative things, when you start speaking things contrary to the word, you set yourself up to that. I got thinking about that this morning. We'll begin, a, I really hope it's a two-part series that's on, um, be careful. All from that little song, be careful little eyes, what you see, be careful, you know, that song, you don't know that? Okay. Never mind. Be careful. Be careful what you speak. Because what you speak is seeds. And if it's seeds and you're speaking negative things, what are you going to produce? Negative things. That's right. You're either speaking death or you're speaking life. So you have to choose to speak. The words that remain, you have to get the word in you to be able to speak the word over yourself or over others 
or into the world. You have to get it in you. Then he goes on to say, remain in my love. So remain in me, I will remain in you. And my words remain in you and you will produce, you will bear much fruit. And then he said, remain in my love. And I like it. He even says, and you know how you remain in my love? Do what I command. By doing what I command, you remain in my love. Oh, see how it just kind of, the word builds upon the word. So how do I remain in his love? Oh, I, I obey his commands. And then he says, you want to know what my command is? <laughs> yeah. Love. Love others as I have loved you. See how it builds upon itself? That was promise number three. You will remain in my love so that, I like this. Here's another promise, promise number four. A so that is a promise. So that this is going to happen. So that, Jesus said, my joy will be in you. And by having my joy in you, your joy will be complete. You know, joy is different than happiness. Joy is something that's unexplainable. It's that peace that passes all understanding. You don't understand how you can have a smile on your face when you're facing seems like all of hell. I, I don't know. Why? Right here. Because I'm doing what he commanded me to do. I'm remaining in his love. And he says, so that your joy will be complete. That had nothing to do with circumstances. Doesn't matter. It can drop 10 inches of snow this afternoon. And for all the summer people, they go, oh, you'll still be joyful. The debt collector can call you and say, I'm coming to your house today. And you still have a joy in you. Yeah, but how can I be joyful if this is happening? It has nothing to do with circumstances. That's happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances and if you're only happy when your circumstances are going well how are you any different than anyone else if you're only loving to those who are loving to you how are you different than anyone else Jesus said that if your if God's love was based on your performance you would all still be I would still be doomed to hell because he said while we were yet sinners Christ died for us this is something that I just had to explain to somebody last week. They're like, well, this person's doing these things wrong, and I know I'm, I'm called to love him, so, uh, you know, I'll just back off and, you know, pray that God will. No. Love needs tangible actions, right? We've talked about that one before. You can't just keep saying you love somebody but never feed them. Imagine having a baby. I love you, I love you. If that's all you did, that baby going to die. That baby needs food. It needs its diaper changed. It needs to be clean. It needs to be nourished. You show your love to that baby by caring for the baby. Right? So to love someone like Christ loved, and then he goes into explaining 
Just like he laid down his life for us, we need to lay our lives down for others. What does that mean? Feed them. Take care of them. Love them. See, it's tangible actions. Love as. And it's not based, well, what if they don't like it? What if they, so what? Love continues to love. So that your joy will be, his joy will be in you, and then your joy will be complete. That's promise number four. His command, love each other as, as, as. I'm going to be doing a series on as. Not double S, but as. So many times in the Bible, Jesus said, love as, um, forgive as, uh, Judge as you want to be judged. Forgive as you want to, you know, give mercy as you want to receive mercy. Come on. It's over and over and over. It's you show him love by you, how you love each other. Love as I have loved you. The outcome of that command is unity. Satan has one target, one target, and that's to destroy the unity of the believers. Because how do we show the world that God loves them? Come on, the Bible says, by our love we have for each other. You can't be in unity with people you're not in love with. You can't. You can say, well, I can love them from afar. I don't have to like them. I just have to love them. That is such a lie. You can't love without being in unity. You can't. You can't be in unity without loving. The outcome of love as is the unity that he calls the body to be in. Then the world can see that God loves them. So Satan has two tricks he uses in the body to split unity. Offense and religion. Offense and religion. I really despise offense. Not like offense like in the football team. I like that. Because I have fantasy football team that I have to kick Brian's butt today. So I want my offensive guys to do what they're supposed to do and rack me up some points. I'm not talking about that kind of offense, though. I'm talking about I'm talking about the offense that happens when somebody says something or does something that you don't like or that hurts your feelings. Why? Why is offense so big? Because it immediately puts up a wall to love. Puts up a fence. That's right. An offense. Puts up a fence to love. Well, why is that so important? Well, they hurt my feelings. The scripture that says love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you know, I've read that a bazillion times. Immediately, my mind goes right to, yes, God's love covers over a multitude of sins. My sins, right? When I come to him. It wasn't talking about that at all. 
in the context of that scripture, he's talking about your love for each other. That your love for another human being covers a multitude of their sins. So to take up an offense on something that somebody did or said, I now remove my ability to cover that sin. Well, they said it. Yeah, and now it's your job to cover it with love. Don't take an offense. That's Satan's ploy. That's Satan's trick to get you from loving to cover over that sin. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Could you imagine if we became a body that just loved one another? Where's the sin? There's no sin. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I like that he said multitude. <laughs> you, ever, you ever finish a day and think, boy, I just racked up some, you know, multitude of sins. I need somebody to love on me right now, right? Love covers over a multitude of sin. That's talking about us. The second ploy, the second attack that the enemy uses is religion. Why? Well, I thought religion was good. No. Religion in its purest state is, yes, good. Religion in its purest state is a, um, a, a title for relationship. I don't know a better word to call it right now. That religion is... Um, in its truest form, is truth in a relationship. I'll put it that way. Religion in our culture today, though, breeds division. This is what we believe. This is what you believe. This is what they believe. And see how it, it promotes division in the body, not unity in the body. So you, Satan will use truth to create division. Well, I believe it says this. Well, I believe it says that. That's the spirit of religion that causes division. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Love promotes unity. Well, what do we do when a brother don't, when you don't agree with a brother or a sister in the Lord? When they pick up one scripture and says, well, I believe it says this. And you pick the same scripture up and said, well, I believe it says that. Well, what are we supposed to do? Love covers a multitude of sins. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who cares? Love covers multitude of sin. Recently, I just had this, I mean, I have this happen all the time. It hurts more when it's closer, somebody you really loves, and they point their finger at you and say, you're wrong. That scripture says this. Well, here's how I'm reading it. This is the context. This is how it lays against the nature of God. Does it agree? Does it not agree with the, the whole body, you know? And yet the finger still pointed. No, that's not what it says, and you're wrong. What do you do? Love. And that's okay. You know, we can still love each other and not agree with each other. 
Because if we only loved when we agreed, how are we any different than the world? Well, how can I love them if I don't agree with them? Oh, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I've only been married. It'll be 30 years in April. I've had multiple disagreements with my husband. And there's multiple things we still stand in opposition with each other on. I still love him. So don't tell me you can't love somebody that you don't agree with. We're commanded to love even our enemy. So what do we do when we don't agree on something? Love. Love. That's his command. Love as Jesus loved you. His prayer was for unity. Remember Jesus in the garden. His prayer, his final prayer was for all believers everywhere. To be in unity as one. As the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, Jesus' prayer that they would be in each other and be in us as we are in each other. <gasps> How can that happen? Love. Tap your brother, wake him up. Love. And here it is, promise number five. If you obey my commands, you are my friend. Jesus said, you're my friend if you obey my command. Well, I don't have to love him. Well, oh, if you do what I command, you are my friends. Then he said, I chose you. I like that. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. It's not okay for you to abide in the vine and not do anything. Because remember at the beginning, what did he say he'll, that will happen? If you try to abide in the vine and not produce any food, food, see my stomach growled, any fruit, what's going to happen? Cut it out. You're going to get cut out. I mean, the once saved, always saved, that's just no place in the Bible. There's not. I mean, you can't line that up with a word and, and stand on that as truth. It's just not there. You will be cut out. I appointed you, chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit. And then he said, fruit that will last. How did he, how did he say, can we, how can we produce fruit that will last? He said, you can... Produce nothing apart from me. And my words remaining in you. There it is. There's that seed. that is, Now you're producing fruit automatically. Automatically abiding in him and his words in you. Doing what he commanded. Love each other. As. Then. There it is. Now we're to the great big number six. Then. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be given to you. Why? It's to my Father's glory that you go and bear much fruit, proving or showing yourselves to be my disciples. If we walk away, if we walk around as half dead trees with no fruit on them, 
all over me. Oh, the devil got me this week. Oh, he's really, and I, I don't have this, and I don't have that. Uh-oh. I mean, I like it. I think it's in Proverbs where it says that we are positioned. We are to be a flourishing tree. A flourishing tree that the birds can come and make nest in and be fed from. We're, and I, that's, I can just picture this humongous tree. We're to be such a blessing that Benzie County can be refreshed by us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. Let me show you that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, two verses. At least I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 10. Now here's that apple thing again, okay? I just got apples on the brain today. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I hope you never read the scriptures the same again. I mean, I, I go through and I mark up my word. I circle those words, will, so that, and, I love the ands. I put a big plus right there. Don't forget this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Well, what am I supposed? Yeah. We're supposed to be a people of giving, right? What am I supposed to give? What do you got in your hand? What did the boy have? Look around. Moses, go lead the, my children out of Egypt. What am I supposed to do? What do I have? What do you have in your hand? Ah. He supplies you with something in your hand. Will also, listen, seed you sow and food to eat. There's that apple. Remember that illustration I gave you was in the apple. You can, God gives you the apple. And I'm not talking about the Garden of Eden apple, okay? Which it wasn't an apple anyway. Just so you know. So apples are good. Gives you an apple. You can eat it. Spit out the seeds. And there you got a full belly for a few minutes. Right? Or you can eat the apple, take the seeds, and go plant the seeds. Now you've eaten the apple, you are satisfied, good for food, and you had seeds to sow to grow more apple trees. Right? Sometimes he gives you an apple and he says, you know what, eat the apple, but take the seeds and hand the seeds to 
to that person right there so that they can go plant in their harvest, for their harvest. Okay. Sometimes he gives you an apple and says, don't even eat this one. Give that whole apple and all of its seeds to that person right there. So they'll have food to eat and seed to sow. But out of all of those different scenarios, who gave the apple? God. God will give you something. You have something in your possession. Now, when we were at um, Club 52 on Saturday, the man that took up the offering gave his testimony. He was homeless. Did he say how long ago it was? I don't remember. Was it nine, ten years? I've heard a lot of nines, so it's probably nine years ago. Homeless. Had nothing, he thought. Broken down vehicle. He talked about how he had to drive and try to keep the frost scraped off the inside of his vehicle when, you know, in the winter. Had nothing. God was teaching him to honor him first. Seek first. They can't, what you honor, you will attract, right? So he's teaching him. And God spoke to him as he looked around in his apartment and said, give me your prized possession. Or go give away your prized possession. That's what he said. Go give away your prize. And so he said, I looked around in my apartment like, what's my, I don't have no prized possession. But he had a, was it a 50 inch TV? He's like, ah. Picked up the TV. Called the pastor where he was going. Say, can you come help me move this TV? Pastor's like, sure, okay. It's like, okay, showed up. It's like, where are we moving it? Into your car. God told me to give my prized possession. This is my prized possession. I'm giving it to you. That's it. I'm doing it to honor God. And he, then he told multiple blessings that overtook him. He didn't have to go seek after he didn't go tell the, oh, woe is me story now so that people would feel sorry for him and give to him. No, those blessings overtook him like a tidal wave. And he was sharing those. See, God will give you things to sow. Why? Just so you don't have no more? No, because he's got to get rid of the little in your hand to give you the much more that he has for you. You have to let go to get more. He supplies seed to the sower and supplies bread for food. He will also supply and increase your store of seed. Let's just make it real practical. Where do you store seed right now? We're talking about money, seed money. Okay, let's just say it's money. Where do you store it? In the bank, investments, stocks, your house, right? Since we started honoring God, and I mean, we've always been tither, we've always been, but we haven't purposely worked to, let me, I don't know how else to say it, really get this one down. Because we want those final blessings. We want to be, we want to be, we want to be blessed so we can be a blessing. We want to be overly generous so that we can be overly, you know, God to be, anyway. Since we started doing this, the value in our house has jumped $24,000.
The value in our house. That's a seed. Our house is a seed. We didn't do anything. I just opened up Zillow and I'm like, I wonder what my house value $24,000. That's increasing the store of your seed, your bank account, your stocks, your investments. That's stores of your seed. What did I do? Did I do anything? Nope. Increase. Enlarge the harvest. He will also enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Think about that. Righteousness is right standing with God and walking in accordance to his decrees. That's what righteousness means. He'll enlarge the harvest. What are we believing for? Souls, right? Right? Come on. He will. He will. He will. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You hear that? Where does that keep? Where does all those blessings come from? Where does it start? He provides seed to the one who sows. If he can trust you to sow it, he'll give it to you. And all those blessings come with it. But he, if he gives you something and you just eat it, stock it away, stick it away, and, and you know, us foreign no more in our home, let's just take care of us, then that's all you'll have. But he provides seed to the sower, and all these blessings come with it to the one who sows. All right, I've got to wrap up. Who's coming back up? Amy? I was actually reminded of the scripture in Psalm 126 where it said that they went out and sowed their seed with tears. Have, have you ever given something to someone else or in the offering? We talked about this a little bit last week and you're like, I could really use that, you know, I could really use that. But you feel that tug at your heart, you're supposed to give that. That's that sowing in tears. See, we don't see this as much as it, it happens all the time in those third world countries or even back in, you know, the Bible days where it was all about, I mean, they didn't just run out to the store and grocery store and get their food. They had to produce their food, you know, to be able to eat. And they could actually eat their seed or sow their seed. And some of their seeds they could eat, but they had to set aside some to sow or there won't be no eating tomorrow. And it was at those times when they were uh, getting to the bare minimum there, let me say it that way, that they didn't have the abundance of, that they actually had to take off the plates of the family and say, sorry, you can't eat this. We have to go sew it. And so when they were sewing that, it was the sewing with tears. My hungry's belly. My hungry's belly. My belly's hungry. My stomach's growling. 
Yeah, I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to sow this. It says those who do that, when the harvest comes in, will be reaping with joy, bringing in bundles and bundles. Bundles and sheaves, that's what it's bundled. Harvest. Reaping in joy. When? When you sow in tears. That sacrifice, it has to cost you something or it's not a sacrifice. That's how the widow's might, the widow's two pennies, if you will, caught the attention of heaven because it cost her something. The jubilant overexpressions of, you know, gold and silver from the rich people didn't phase Jesus one bit. They're given because they have it. It's not costing them anything. But the widow who sowed in tears is the one that caught heaven's attention. And I like the end of this, that it says that you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. We're looking at needing $180,000 to finish this sanctuary. Who wants to be the one or would like to be the one to just write one check for $180,000? Hallelujah. Yes. I want to be that one. Right? Where does it start? He provides seed to the sower with the apple, with the seed, with what you have in your hand that you can be a good steward of. Honor him first. Honor him first. You sacrifice in one season to receive the blessing of the harvest in the next. I want to take just a couple minutes and we're going to be positioning ourselves to take communion. The ushers are going to come up here. They're going to hold it up here for us because I, I believe the culmination of the this three parts of this message, fulfilling the dream, you've got to see the the overarching message here in fulfilling the dream comes in the relationship that our relationship is based on our relationship with God I can't have a good relationship with you we can't with each other if we don't have a good relationship with God. We prove a good relationship with God by our good relationship with each other. By our love for each other. The world will know that God loves them. See how it all goes together? And he puts at the end of that a great big exclamation point. When you do this, ask whatever you wish. What? Remain in me. My words remain in you. Love each other as I have loved you. And ask whatever you wish. Why? It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory that we show ourselves 
to be people who are great big apple trees. That you can call me off me. Here's an apple for you. Here's an apple. You get an apple. You get an apple. You get an apple. You get an apple. Everybody gets an apple. You see that? Then people take notice. Wait a minute. What's going on in your life? Why, why do you look so blessed? So you can be a blessing to others. That whole lifestyle of love. It, that communion, if you will. That koinonia. It's called an intimate face-to-face -face relationship. You know, I tell you all the time that Ephesians says that we are seated at God's right hand in Christ. In heavenly places. But there's another place in, in the scripture eludes my memory here, but where he, he says, you, God says, you sit at my right hand. Oh, that's wonderful. That's where we're seated. But then it says, I also sit at your right hand. And I love it. I think, um, can't remember. One of the pastors I was watching shared that. Well, how do we sit at his right hand and he sits at our right hand? If I'm at his right hand, I'm here. If he's at my right hand, he's here. It's only when we become face to face that we can be at each other's right hand. What? Yeah. That koinonia, that face to face, that love, unity. We are one. Come on, you see how it all goes together? That's why it's just a perfect time for us to take communion, but it's also an opportunity. This is an opportunity, if you haven't already filled out a faith promise card, for you to get in in partnership with us. And I said it last week that we will be, we now will be the testimony for generations to come. The living stones upon which this Cornerstone campus will be built. We will be their testimony. I believe it. There, I can, because I can see it. And so, duh, I'm going to give into it. I can see it. I believe it. So, of course, I'm going to give into it. So, if you need a faith promise card, the ushers, Shannon has uh, cards. You can fill it out. You can bring them up here. I'm going to ask a usher to come on this side and usher to come on this side. We're going to take up communion and we're going to stand up here because what I want us to do is just take communion together. I want you to really just soak in the knowledge of that koinonia, that fellowship, that love that we're supposed to have for one another. That this command. That's his command. Love each other as... So would you just stand up? Amy's playing so beautifully right now. Would you just find this section can come up here and stay up here. Find the place then at the altar. And once everybody's served, then I'll lead us in communion. Remember, communion is not only a reminder of his sacrificial death, but it is also a celebration of the incredible, generous grace of God the privilege of being forgiven and